I'm a scavenger, a loyalist. You are from the base. No, I am against the scientists. You know nothing of their machines. No, I don't want to. Their intentions are evil. I want to help you destroy the scientists. Useless and unnecessary. I want to help you. Welcome to Who Worth Watching, where we're exploring this classic series from the beginning to see what's still worth watching for a modern audience. Today, we're talking about the 1967 story, The Ice Warriors, which introduced another enduring enemy of the Doctor. I'm your host, and I'm proposing a ban on scientists digging ancient things out of the ice. (laughs) Based on all the movies and TV shows we've seen, it just never seems to go well, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we, uh... (laughs) <laughs> there, there's at least one movie on that subject that's a sort of a perennial reference on, on our <laughs> yeah. show here. My co-host is Guy, who thinks it's disgusting that professional women in the future will wear very short miniskirts to work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, why do you need a miniskirt at all? Just uh, <laughs> you know, bikini bottom should be fine. Well, <laughs> speaking of which, so I'm. Um, I was just looking through the Buck Rogers series to put on my media server, you know, and I I loved the Buck Rogers series when I was a kid, right? It was the perfect, you know, post-Star Wars thing. This is the um, uh, the one with Aaron Gray? Yeah. The, okay, <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And so, speaking of her, so they did a movie release of, like, the pilot, you know, mm-hmm. that was shot a little differently. <laughs> it's so funny because... All the shots in the beginning of the credits are like crotch shots of Aaron Gray. And I'm not kidding. It's like literally crotch shots of her in a bikini. And I was like, oh, okay, this is this is 1980s TV. We'll never we'll never have this again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a glorious time. <laughs> so some context for the Ice Warriors. I think at least two of these are animated, two that we're talking about today. I think the rest are live action. And the animation, it's not the really good stuff we've seen recently. It goes back more towards the Reign of Terror one. I think it's probably the same company that did the Reign of Terror with the funky eyes moving around and everything. But I'll give mm-hmm. them that um, the eyes are not as weird in this one. And also, the faces look pretty good. I mean, you definitely know who the characters are and everything. But it's it's just not as good as the, the other company we've, you know, been watching the last few times. So. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's serviceable. Nothing about it really stood out to me, good or bad. You know, it's just uh, it's it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> now we've seen this a bunch with Patrick Trouton, but this is the definition of what I call base under siege, right? So they're in one room, basically, or one or two rooms, and you know things are trying to take them out. <laughs> We saw that with the moon base. Um, although I think this has some uh, some unique qualities. Hey, episode one. We start with various shots of an icy landscape, and then we get a unique approach uh, to the title and the credits. So, you're the you're the font guy. So, what did you think of uh, what they did here? Well, it didn't. Uh... 
didn't overwhelm me. I mean, I noticed, like, uh, in episode three, I noticed they hit a big three came up <laughs> after the credits. You know, so they, I think part of the fonts they used are more or less the standard Doctor Who title fonts. I could be wrong, but they weren't too far Well, they're up. at least bigger. There's you know. like, yeah, there's, uh, there's also, I think, a sort of chunkier, fatter font they used, like, for <laughs> that three. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a font expert, but uh, yeah, it caught my attention anyway. Usually, I would not even notice that at all, so uh, I guess it worked. <laughs> yeah, we next see a surprisingly modern-looking room full of Apple-style machinery, and I, you know, there's computers and consoles, and I will give them this. I think they did a really good job on designing this because it it really, you know. Decades later, we literally would have, like, Apple computers and stuff that were looking, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. some of what they're showing here. So I thought that was pretty nice. Yeah. And uh, there's some kind of alarm, and everyone is scrambling around, and the leader, Clint, comes in, and he's limping on his crutch. So he's, a, you know, he's got a limping problem, and he wants to know what's going on. And uh, this guy, so this is the leader of this base, and... I really like his character. Like he's he's this really intelligent, you know, fast talking guy, and he's got his limp and his character. And I don't know. I just, uh, you know, you need in these you need a good villain or you need a good sort of quasi villain. And I think as the mm-hmm. leader, uh, he does a pretty good job at that. Yeah, it's uh, in the first three episodes at least. It's interesting. I'm not sure what to think of him yet. He's definitely. Definitely has a high opinion of himself and a <laughs> low opinion of humanity as a whole. But uh, it's not clear to me yet. I don't think he's incompetent. He mentions that he was put in this post because he's succeeded on everything he's done before. But he's also kind of intransigent, mm-hmm. um, sort of, uh, uh, you know, not not the most self-aware guy. So it's he's he's kind of interesting. Uh, it's kind of ambiguous at this point. I think <laughs> uh, he could go either way as far as he could become a self-sacrificing hero, or he could become a uh, you know total villain type guy. I don't don't know what'll happen. Right. And the woman he's talking to has this weird plastic cover that goes over mm-hmm. her head. In a way, it would seem silly, but actually, these days, and we don't—I don't know if she can—if it's presenting displays to her or not. But these days, you know, we had Google, uh, whatever that was, glass. glass, and now we have Apple as some VR thing. Like, actually, I think it's one of these cases where it's probably more realistic now than, <laughs> than when they did it. Yeah, it's it's an interesting looking thing, and basically, it's just like a long maybe quarter-inch thick sheet, like like if you just took a rectangle of clear plastic that's maybe eight inches by, say, two feet, then you put two bends in it, so it was kind of kind of J-shaped or something, and then just, uh, you know, turned it upside down and put it over your head so that there was a <laughs> clear visor in front of your face. It's at the same time, it's a little bit cheesy, but on the other hand, it's, you know, for minimalist, futuristic design style, it's uh, it's plausible. You know, so uh, not bad. <laughs> and the costumes are also interesting. They're very white, but they have um, these splashes of color coming through them in a very artistic way. 
And as we mentioned, no, yeah. <laughs> the women, they don't all have this, but the women generally have rather short skirts. And in a scene in a bit, um, mm-hmm. Jamie actually comments on this to Victoria. He's like, oh, would you ever wear something like that? And she's like, oh, that's disgusting. The funny thing <laughs> is, in the background materials, you know, she was a young actress and she was actually jealous because, of course, as a young actress, she would rather have looked hot because, you know, her <laughs> name is Victoria. She's the Victorian girl. She's got the long, you know, dress on, et cetera. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, her character is disgusted by the whole thing. <laughs> and Jamie's like, oh, of course. Yes, it's disgusting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So one of the things I like right from the beginning here is there's some backstory that we start to pick up on that becomes very important, which is the woman that Clint has been kind of yelling at to fix things says, well, we need Pemley. And Clint says he's no longer a member of the team, so she'll need to make things work. And as we'll see here, the deal is Pemley was their scientist, and we don't 100% know what went down, but he got angry and left. And now they're kind of screwed because they don't have their main scientist who knows how all these computers and everything works. And I, I just, I always really like it that, you know, whatever happened with Pemley happened before the story started and, and is this whole thread through it. And I, you know, I like it that you don't always know, you know, you don't always see everything on screen <laughs> mm-hmm. that happens in a story. Um, right. So her name is Miss Garrett. And <laughs> even though she said, oh, we need Pemley, as soon as Clint says, oh, we're relying on you and you need to fix it. You know, she's just one of those people who takes that hyper seriously, right? And she just starts running mm-hmm. around to all the stations in the room and telling everybody what to do. Um, yeah. And then when Clint says, oh, good job, she's like, oh, I'm just following your example. <laughs> <laughs> Buttering him up. Yeah. And Clint asks the computer something, and oh, my God, I think this is a big mistake in the story. The computer talks... In this total guttural voice, I had no idea what it was saying. <laughs> it's just yeah, terrible. Yeah, they, um, they've got some kind of voice encoding thing that's just really cranked up to 11. You know, it's, uh, it's, it almost just sounds like humming with some uh, pops of static in it sometimes. <laughs> that's yeah. really difficult to make up. Yeah, they made some bad choices here. Uh, so whatever it is the computer said, you know, Garrett says if they fail, the whole program for glacier containment is in danger. <laughs> yeah, the glacier is, uh, you know, mo- most most British pronunciations, I mean, they're indifferent too, or I like them, but glacier just, I don't know, doesn't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out some of their people are out on the ice, but they can't be reached. And now we go outside and, and, you know, we see the icy landscape with these people. And I got to say, this is amazingly realistic. You remember, you know, with that Terry Nation story, um, what was the one where there were 10 different locations? Oh, Keys of Marinus. They're in the the caves with the cellophane and all that. Yeah, so Keys of Marinus (laughs) and all they've got for snow is some cellophane. This looked really good. I mean, you know, it really feels like there's a snowstorm going on. It really feels like it's snow and ice behind them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought they did a a surprise. I mean, even today, that would be a perfectly good representation for a TV show. Mm -hmm. Now, this was the episode that isn't animated, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, otherwise, that's true. That's a good point. Um, it'd be harder to tell otherwise. 
<laughs> and the folks who are sort of out of communication, um, you know, outside, they find something in the ice. Uh, they see sort of a shadow of something. It's like, oh, not another mastodon. <laughs> but it seems kind of more like a person. And the leader of the, the people who are out here decides the, to override their orders and their protocol, and they're going to excavate what they found. And we'll find out over time that this guy – you know, he really sort of wants to be an archaeologist. So this is a convenient mm. thing for him. And he'll just ignore the orders because he's going to excavate whatever it is he's found. But also, he's apparently never watched a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And this part, you know, a lot of what you were saying about the uh, the scenery looking good overall, I I don't remember much about it. But, but the part where he wipes away the snow... Uh, and you see that they must have used like a piece of glass or a piece of clear plastic or something because it looks very smooth and polished mm. under there. But, yeah, there's something inside. Uh, meanwhile, at the base, uh, things are going very badly. And then <laughs> literally inches from the base, we see the TARDIS appear. But this is really unusual. It's kind of fun. It it appears on a snowbank and tips over and slides down the snow. <laughs> and so it's sort of, you know, the door is sort of up, and but everything's all messed up. And there are shenanigans as they try to get out. I don't know if you picked up on this. I assumed it too. So there's some flapstick stuff they do here that, yes, the actors, you know, did this without telling anybody, right? So uh, um, okay, Fraser, yeah. you know, there's a point where it's pretty funny, actually. Patrick Troughton, like, yells, you know, like something's really wrong and, it seems like really serious, and and what it is is that you know Jamie has stepped on his hand, um, <laughs> so trying to get out, and they had told um, the actress who played Victoria, oh, we're going to have fun with this, but they wouldn't tell her what they were going to do. <laughs> so she was always sort of <laughs> having to respond to this stuff um, as it happened. And also, here's a funny thing too, right? Jamie comments on the fact that, wait, we're back in the snow and we just left the Himalayas. I mean, you might have just taken us up the hill of the same mountain. And that's a case where I'm sure they would never would have intentionally done two snowy environments in a row, right? It's just one of those things where that's just how the stories work out, right? I mean, yeah, one other one wasn't available or whatever. But it's kind of funny that he actually comments on it. Like, why do we have another snowy environment? <laughs> <laughs> now, the funny thing is, I was after, <laughs> I should have, you know, watched some of this before uh, when we did the episode, but after we talked about the Abominable Snowman, I was watching some background material, and one of the problems they had was they went on location in Wales, right, to in the mountains, and there was no snow. So, now we mm. saw the animated version, so there was snow, but if you watch the actual live version, there was no snow. <laughs> so, they now realize they've landed right next to a dome, and... A door in the dome opens, and two very unkempt people run out carrying supplies. And, you know, they're like in, I don't know, kind of, you know, fur. And, I mean, they look they look pretty primitive. One of these two people, who will turn out as Pemley, uh, who's going to be a big part of the story, is Wallace of Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> Interesting. So what were the Wallace and Gromit? They were made, like, in the 80s or 90s, weren't yep, they? Yep, yep. So that was, like... Couple decades later, yep. Hmm. <laughs> so it's just interesting. You couldn't you couldn't really tell listening to him that that's you know who he is, but and I'm <laughs> probably better known for that than for his Doctor Who appearance. <laughs> 
So after these guys have run away, the TARDIS crew opens the door and enters. And now here's something. And, and when I watched the background material, they admit this just didn't work. You know, they, there's a key thing here that they just failed to communicate, which is the idea. So we're seeing all the snow and ice and we've seen these other things. So the immediate assumption is, oh, they're like at the North Pole, right? But no, the idea was these glaciers and stuff have, have encased England, have encased, you know, sort of normal places that people live. So when they walk in, they see what's supposed to be uh, an English building. And we see this picture, but it doesn't work at all. Like, it's just a picture in the background. It doesn't make sense. Then the next shot, we see them walking inside an English, you know, sort of Victorian house. But it, again, it doesn't make any sense. So the whole, the idea they were trying to say there was England has been covered by glaciers. And sort of like in World War II, when they would take over a big house and put, you know, the the code breakers or whatever in that house, right? That was the idea here. But you would I, I don't think anybody would understand that watching this and it didn't I, make any sense. I didn't get that myself. Uh in 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 fact, um it explains some things, you know, like why why is this uh research headquarters uh so cozy looking in parts, you know, and mm -hmm. uh and also, why is there uh, a plant museum in Antarctica? You know, we'll find this <laughs> plant museum later on, but it turns out it's in England. It's just a frozen over England. And they do even mention eventually that the glaciers have advanced and the world's getting frozen and all that stuff. But but I didn't put two and two together. Well, so. there's also a logic problem I'll get to here. <laughs> to, uh, so this is what they were trying to present anyway. So inside, um, the expedition team that, you know, found something in the ice has been reached on video and the leader, Clint, wants them to return. But, you know, they found this thing in the ice and Clint's like, great, you found another Mastodon or whatever, who cares, get back here. And the uh, archaeologist guy pretends he can't hear, you know, oh, it's all static. <laughs> <laughs> that old gag. So... Meanwhile, the crew goes from this, you know, weird English home hallway, <laughs> art and statues and everything, into the science center. And <laughs> I, I like this bit because it's pretty funny because the leader, Clint, is going around. So the computers are all in a circle. And the leader, Clint, is going around them looking at the readings and, and saying what the readings say. And the doctor starts following him. And, of course, you know, he just showed up 20 seconds ago. And the leader, Clint, will say, like, oh, this is 78%. The doctor, 78%, that's bad. And then he'll go to another one and say something. And the doctor will follow him and repeat it and say how bad it is. And so after 30 seconds of following Clint, you know, reading off these computer readings, the doctor is like, Oh, in a minute and a half, you know, everything's going to explode. And they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, but it's, it's a pretty funny um, little routine there. And uh, the leader, you know, wants these scavengers removed. So, so I think people basically who are just normal English people are scavengers, right? They don't have the appropriate role and, and they're just, you know, trying to get along. Uh, but as you say, the doctor is like, well, you know, in a couple of minutes, there's going to be an almighty explosion. And um, 
And this is a huge theme in the story. Clint's like, well, how could you say that? Because we haven't put the readings through the computer yet. Hmm. And we see this version of the doctor with Troughton is very suspicious of computers. And so the doctor just runs around to each of the computer stations and tells the person what to do and what things to change. And he saves them from the explosion Leader Clint's like, well, how do we know? You know, you're, you could just be screwing with us. We don't know that there was really going to be an explosion. <laughs> so he gets um, he gets them to feed the data into the computer, and the computer says, yes, it, you know, there would have been an explosion. And a funny bit here that, you know, fits into everything, I, I think is pretty clever, is the doctor tells Clint, you know, you should have an expert here. And as we've talked about, they had an expert who left them. So that's part of the yeah. whole the whole story. Meanwhile, the team that's outside uh, that found, you know, the person in the ice, they realize he seems to be kind of a giant who's wearing armor. And he looks pre-Viking, but there was no such civilization in prehistoric times before the first ice age. And now here's where I'm going to say the story screws itself up because they're trying to say that the glaciers are now covering England and we're just in downtown England, right, in some house. But... They have just now found an, a, a creature in the ice from the first Ice Age, right? So I'm like, well, I don't think there's ice in downtown England, you know, from the first Ice Age. So, yeah, this doesn't yeah, quite if, work. Uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering what would be, unless it was maybe a glacier that was like uh, uh, pushed out of... Uh, Norway or something, you know, across the <laughs> sea over to England. Yeah, it's hard to imagine where that glacier would have come from, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I did not uh, pick up on that. Huh. Now, there may be glaciers in Britain, though. Uh, I think I think northern Britain might have some. I'm not sure. Hmm. Right. I don't know about that. So we see two scavengers watching, you know, the crew that's dealing with the ice creature, and one of them is Pemley, and the other is this... Um, I like his voice. I don't know who he is. but um, And then there's an avalanche, and it kills one of the crew from the base. And the non-Pemley scavenger is hurt in the avalanche, and Pemley takes him back to their shelter. So Pemley is the scientist who, who see has, has left the base. He's rejected them, and he's now a scavenger. In the base, Clint is saying the doctor has no proof of his credentials. <laughs> and the doctor asks for a summary of the situation, um, <laughs> he covers for their ignorance by saying they've been in a retreat in Tibet, which, you know, is kind of true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a monastery and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so Clint gives the doctor 45 seconds to answer this question. And he's like, okay, so, um, there's a second ice age. How would you set it back to normal? You have 45 seconds to answer. <laughs> and the doctor runs around putting forward a bunch of theories None of which turn out to be the case. And then right before 45 seconds, and he kind of, he seems desperate when he's putting together these other theories, but then right when the 45 seconds comes up, he says, oh, okay, it's this. And he seems to absolutely know it's that. So it's kind of like he was screwing with them, you know, with, yeah, with the other I, ones. I think he specifically mentioned something about ionization, if I remember right, which is, which is the solution that these guys? Yeah, have well, come he up says, with. well, you know, his his final solution that's that is turns out to be accurate is he says, well, there must be a severe drop in carbon dioxide level in the Earth's lower atmosphere, 
which turns out to be the case because humanity destroyed all the plants. And uh, yeah, Clinton explains that after increasing the yield for everyone, you know, basically as, as actually happened, we had what was called the Green Revolution and the amount of food produced for people exploded. Although it might have, that might have even happened after this. I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, but <laughs> Clinton explains that after increasing yield for everyone, they started using up the fertile lands because they didn't think they needed them anymore to put up housing, uh, which reduced the number of plants, which reduced the carbon dioxide. And now we have a new ice age. Yeah. And that's, I don't know. I mean, there's been a lot of science fiction that uses this, like you have silent running and silent green and. You know, Cyberpunk 2077, you've got, like, uh, most of the protein is is from, like, mealworms and stuff <laughs> like that. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. You'd think, you'd think, like, they mentioned at one point it took our scientists years to figure out that uh, it was the lack of plants that were causing the cold. And it shouldn't have taken that long to figure out, you wouldn't think. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so the purpose of this base is to control the weather, and if they um, fail to do that, not only will people die, but the balance of power will be all screwed up. So, you know, we're very much in Cold War times here, I guess. Yeah. But Clint says, you know, the doctor can replace Pemley as their senior scientist and then everything will be fine. Um, but the doctor's not happy that all decisions must be confirmed by the computer. He just doesn't like that uh, computer oversight thing. Meanwhile, the expedition crew brings in the frozen creature that they found, you know, so, uh, <laughs> you know, just like the thing is like, oh, here's this frozen, frozen creature. <laughs> I think the, the original thing story, who goes there, I think that was written in the late 40s, if I remember right. So, and actually this was the, what, this was late 60s, so I think the movie version was yeah. like early 50s, so, yeah, so they would have had plenty of inspiration by this point. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the doctor checks out the frozen corpse, and he realizes there's something wrong with the helmet. It's just too advanced, you know, for something that should be from the first Ice Age. And as the ice melts, the doctor realizes the helmet has an electronic connection, he goes off to talk to people about this. Meanwhile, <laughs> this is where Jamie teases Victoria about how the women scientists are dressed. And he's <laughs> like, oh, would you ever dress like that? Oh, no, I totally agree. It's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and then we see that the ice warrior has thawed and is about to get up. And it's the end of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... Episode starts off with uh, Jamie and Victoria in the medical lab, and uh, the ice warrior knocks out Jamie and grabs Victoria. And uh, and I did trim this down considerably because there's a lot of just chit chat in this episode. And well, we <laughs> so, should also say I mean we haven't really described what the ice warriors look like, right? They have these shells that are kind of turtle like um, that cover yeah. them, and they're very tall. Yeah, and they've got the the helmets look kind of almost Bronze Age to me, and then it's sort of like a Batman mask where the bottom of the face is more exposed. Mm -hmm. uh, not exactly like that, but but it's like a Bronze Age style helmet, and then you have the exposed skin is kind of scaly and lizard like. So this guy we see here, who you know in the last episode the wheeled in and everything, um. 
Interesting thing. First of all, he was originally in the previous episode played by the black guy from um, Victoria's first uh, one, the Evil of the Daleks. Um, oh, um, the uh, he was like a. Uh, I, I'm I'm picturing him. He had some sort of ethnic costume, if I remember. Yeah, right. I remember. Yeah, he was sort of the you know started out as the bad black yeah. guy, but then he was, he was the self-sacrificing guy. guy at the end. Well, I think yeah. his name is Bernard Gibbons, and he plays one of these because he's very tall. But the character we see here, you know, his name Varga, um, he is actually played by one of the guys in Carry On. So, you know, we watched Carry On Sergeant, which kicked off this 30-year series of films. And so there was a really tall, you know, a six-and-a-half-foot guy who was very popular in the Carry On ones. And he is playing the Varga character. And it's one of those cases we talked about before where they bring someone in Doctor Who who has a very, either a good voice or, you know, well-known voice or well-known figure. And then they put him in a costume (laughs) where you can't tell who they are. Yeah. And you you wouldn't recognize the voice either. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Although it was his idea to have them kind of talk like snakes. So where they do the Mm. sibilance and and all that. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's mostly good, but it's not, it's whispering almost in a yeah. lot of places, so that, that makes it a little bit difficult. Not as hard to understand as the computer, but uh, but still somewhat difficult. <clears throat> oh, and uh, the Ice Warriors also have, um, well, I, th- I think it might be referred to nowadays as dad bods. <laughs> they're, just, <laughs> they're, um, they're a bit on the husky side, and not, not as much as the snowmen, yeah. And uh, I, I'm I'm not uh, picking on huskiness. I've always been a, a <laughs> strapping lad myself. Well, the funny thing to me is calling them the Ice Warriors because that actually started in the last episode, right? Well, where well we didn't say this, but one of the guys who was helping uncover the guy in the ice is like, "Oh, it's an Ice Warrior." Well. And then calling them that, it's a little bit like calling Native Americans, you know, Indians because they thought it was India when they got there, right? Because they, they, mm-hmm. we learned very soon that they're from Mars. So really, we should be calling them the Martians. Right. But because they happen to first be found in ice, for the rest of the time, they're called the Ice <laughs> they're Warriors. They're the Ice Warriors, yeah. <laughs> so after the warrior, the Martian, as we'll find out, grabs Victoria. Um, we see what's going on back in the control room. Uh, Clint is talking with his staff, and he's uh, he's impressed that the doctor figured out the ionization thing so quickly. Um, he consults the computer, and it says that the doctor can be used as assistance, but he might be obstructive. So you gotta <laughs> gotta keep an eye on him. He's a stubborn cuss. And the doctor comes in, and he he shows. Clint or tells Clint that this uh, this helmet is a pretty fancy piece of work. It might look Bronze Age, but it's actually uh, it's actually much more than that. It's electronic. It's a space helmet, in fact. Well, but um, Clint kind of rejects that, and he's like, "It's a tin cup, right?" <laughs> <laughs> well, he'll find out soon enough. So Clint and Garrett, who's the the lady we had mentioned earlier. They're discussing that this this warrior has a spacecraft uh, in the ice, buried in the ice, 
And they're theorizing about what it must be like, and it's probably atomic-powered, they figure. Yeah. And that affects their plans somewhat, because this big anti-weather device that they're creating, this ionizer, they don't know how that's going to interact with the ship's reactor. But they think it's likely to have some bad effect if they're not careful. And the doctor's in on this conversation, too. And so they're all, all agreed that this is a serious concern they're going to have to address. Uh, and then Jamie comes in and uh, tells everybody that the warriors come alive. <laughs> so not only do they have a troublesome buried spaceship to deal with, but now they've got an actual living fossil. Mm-hmm. Back in the medical lab, uh, the doctor and Clint and Garrett are all checking out what, uh, what had went on in here. They explained that they were using power packs to uh, thaw out this alien, which, uh, you know, they had, I think they said the high voltage, but and the doctor says it passed through a low resistance. Uh, anyway, the result of it all was that uh, it heated up a lot, um, and that, Clint theorizes, must be why the warrior revived, which is kind of... Kind of hand waving, you know. Oh, the the <laughs> the heat that thawed him out must have shocked him back into life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't whatever. totally get the whole voltage and whatever the stuff, but yeah, it's the intent it's originally just, had been to to very slowly thaw him out. In that first episode, he like thawed out in about twenty seconds. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, practically <laughs> instantly. Yeah. yeah, I think they're just trying to cover it up with techno babble. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. So Jamie wants to search for Victoria, and the doctor agrees that they they should do that. So he and Jamie are going to set out looking for her. In the control room, Clint tells the doctor that he can't uh, he can't authorize the doctor to leave the base for an extensive search, or he can't he can't release his own men for an extensive search. So Clint com- consults the computer as he often does. Hmm. Meanwhile, in the storage room. This monster introduces himself as Varga from the Red Planet, he says, which means Mars, of course. And he has this whispering and hissing voice. And so every now and then he actually seems to seems to be laughing at one of his own remarks just whenever <laughs> he says something especially sinister, like we could blow up your brain with this gun. You know, and then he'll just sort of go... <laughs> like he just got off a good one. <laughs> so this is Varga. He is the head of the Ice Warriors. He's uh, also the first Ice Warrior thawed. So it's kind of convenient that he seems to be the boss man. Mm-hmm. Victoria asks. Uh, he has. He hasn't actually threatened her with the gun yet. In fact, when Victoria asks him about the thing on his arm, which is just a little little box the size of a garage door opener you know she asks if it's a gun and he just ignores the question and asks her how long he was in the ice she says she doesn't know but from what she heard the scientist saying it was thousands of years ago she suggests that Varga should let the scientists help him and he's he's got a dark view of human nature probably (laughs) because he's projecting uh, he says, they would keep me as a curiosity, and they would leave my warriors for dead or destroy them. But with my men, I can talk from strength. 
Then we shall decide. Yeah, and of course, I mean, he's totally right about that, right? <laughs> it's not like they were going to be like, hey, join our ranks or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although if they demonstrated they were peaceful, they'd probably mm-hmm. at least be tolerated, you know, or like, uh, who knows? But, but yeah, yeah, he's not being unreasonable here. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I think probably Clint, I mean, yeah, we, we, we've we just seen the doctor and two other people showed up out of nowhere and <laughs> they'd practically been welcomed into the building with open arms after some initial resistance, of course. Anyway, Varga says then they'll have to decide. And what they have to decide is whether to go back to our own world or to conquer this. <laughs> so the stakes are getting high here, even if the world wasn't already... In danger of being ended by uh, global freezing. Mm-hmm. So back in the control room, the computer gives its verdict. This ionization program, the the program to reverse the weather, uh, it needs to go on. It says some people are going to die uh, or expected to be lost, the lives. But he also says this spacecraft must be investigated if there is one there because of the reactor problem. So he authorizes one scientist, namely Arden, to go and investigate. And Jamie volunteers to go along as Arden's guard. Uh, And the doctor points out when Clint objects that there's, the computer said, one guy. And the doctor says that was from your staff, Jamie's extra. Mm -hmm. Clint, Clint has to go along, doesn't have to go along with it, I guess, but he does. Clint says it's important they got to go investigate right away. And Jamie says Victoria is important, too. And Clint, not unreasonably, says that uh, the fate of the world could be at stake. <laughs> the girl must take her chance. So, I mean, you know, sometimes you got to make decisions about priorities. You know, saving mm-hmm. all humanity might be a bigger, bigger priority than uh, saving one person. Now we go to the plant museum, and this is where Penley and Store, these are the two guys that we saw stealing goods earlier. Um, This is where they're hiding out. They spend uh, probably a couple minutes arguing like an old married couple. (laughs) Like they, They obviously have some regard and like for each other, but they cover it up, you know, just by... Your usual ball busting, you know, just little little insults, and uh, you know, it's a very uh, recognizable kind of dynamic. I think Penley gives Store a tomato because this museum, even though that plants don't grow much in the wild on Earth nowadays, this museum has all kinds of plants: tomatoes, carrots, potatoes, strawberries, all kinds of good stuff. The building shakes a little, and some wisps of snow fall from the ceiling. Uh, as apparently there's an avalanche outside, uh, there's some some kind of loud noise. Uh, and Penley is going to go back to the base to get drugs for Store because Store's not doing that great. Uh, Penley even thinks he might actually be uh, headed for death if he doesn't do something. Back at the base, meanwhile, uh, in the storage room. Victoria tells Varga about how he was thawed out, that they hooked up a black box to him. Varga thinks this must be a power source, and he wants her to lead him to it. He says if anyone interferes, he'll kill him, kill them with his sonic gun. 
and how he describes this little sonic gun, which is the garage door opener thing on his <laughs> arm. He says, uh, it will burst your brain with noise. So this gives me a theory, and I could be completely wrong, but we've got aliens who whisper, and they use sonic guns, so they probably think sound is pretty impressive. So I'm wondering if maybe these whispering aliens will be defeated with sound somehow. Time will tell. We'll see. So on the face of the glacier, or glacier to Americans, uh, Arden and Clint are talking on their video phone. Uh, it's, you know, a little handheld device, you know, sort of like the old uh, PDAs or I guess for like a modern cell phone for <laughs> that matter. I also came up with a good term for it, a walkie-gawkie, because you can look <laughs> at video of people. That's free for anybody who wants it. Arden uh, tells Clint that he can't get a reading. There's something, some sort of screening device is jamming the sensor. And Clint is a little pissy about it. He says, well, then return at once. The mission will be repeated with the correct equipment. Arden says, but this is the proper equipment. Clint says, obviously not. Don't waste time. Mm. So, you know, I mean, Arden made a reasonable effort to bring what should have been the proper equipment. Now Clint is uh, reaming him for it. So it's too bad. In a hallway... Back in the base, Varga and Victoria are heading for the med lab down the hallway, and we see Penley peeks out from behind a corner, and he's, he sees them, so he knows they're there. In the control room, Clint tells the doctor something I mentioned earlier, that, that Clint was chosen for this job because, as he puts it, I never fail. Mm -hmm. But he goes on to acknowledge that when I handpicked the team, I made one vital mistake. And the doctor immediately figures out that was Penley, selecting Penley, uh, because Penley didn't stick with the program. And Clint starts complaining about him, and uh, the doctor says maybe he's just creative, but Clint, uh, Clint says, no, he's criminally irresponsible, because uh, he walked out of here. And uh, the doctor asks, it couldn't have been just a simple gesture of protest? Clint says, he was always protesting. This is a team, a team with a mission. So the doctor says he'll try and help Clint, but uh, but he says, I do think you might try trusting human beings instead of computers. Clint says something that may prove to be revealing. Uh, he says, I trust no one doctor, not anymore. Human emotions are unreliable. So he's been burned somewhere along the way, apparently. In the med lab, Varga and Victoria are looking around for the power pack, and they find it. Varga tells Victoria that she's uh, coming along with him to the ice mountain. <laughs> she doesn't like to hear that. But then Clint enters, and Varga knocks him out. Varga and Victoria leave, and then Penley comes out of his little hiding spot, and the doctor arrives. The doctor asks Penley if he uh, knocked out Clint, Penley says, I've come very close to it at times. <laughs> uh, and he, he says that who did knock out Clint is a monstrous-looking creature. I didn't like the look of him at all, he says. <laughs> <laughs> and the ice warriors are not uh, particularly comely. <laughs> Doctor asks why Penley didn't try and stop them from leaving, uh, you know, aside from the fact that the ice warrior probably weighs <laughs> twice as much as Penley does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Finley says he came here to get drugs for his friend, and he couldn't he couldn't run the risk of getting caught. The doctor says, but she's only a young girl. Penley says, she's alive. My friend will die if I don't get back. So the doctor seems to understand that. And, uh, yeah, he, it's, it's an argument. He does say, though, that uh, they need Penley desperately here. Penley says, I'm free of their problems for good. The doctor says, they're your problems too, you know. It's your world. Penley says, my world is up here, private and no admittance. And that's, uh, I think he was pointing to his head when he said that. <laughs> so Penley takes off to head back to the plant museum with the drugs for his buddy. The doctor puts some uh, smelling salts under Clint's nose. And uh, oh, I, I didn't put this in the notes, but that's, there's a cute little line. I don't remember exactly what it was, but when he pulls out these smelling salts, uh, you know, the doctor gives him a sniff and he says... Uh, uh, something like uh, disgusting. It's exactly what we need. <laughs> it's just the thing, something mm. like that. But the smelling salts wake up Clint. And then uh, Garrett and Jamie and Arden all come in. Uh, so they've got a big old meeting here now. Garrett just got a message from the gate that uh, the ice warrior smashed his way through and he took Victoria with him. Clint explains that the Ice Warrior knocked him out with a power pack. So the very thing that the Ice Warrior came here to get, he whacked him with it. So the doctor, the doctor seems to think he's taken Victoria as a hostage, that he's going to use her to manipulate the rest of them somehow. Mm. Jamie wants to act now, but the doctor says we've, we've got to wait until morning. He says that'll be time enough. Mm -hmm. Clint insists that it must be now because they've got a mission to accomplish. But Arden says, not at night. Not for you or anybody. You've mm. never been out there at night. Back at the face of the glacier, Varga finds his men in the ice by using a tracker. And he, uh, he says, when your friends come after us, they will find a surprise. Mm. And I don't remember for certain, but he probably added one of those little hissing <laughs>, laughs. You know? <laughs> So he uses his sonic gun to melt the ice. So, so these sonic guns do have some uh, have some chops. Mm -hmm. Back in the plant museum, you know, the, there's a lot of dialogue whenever we visit this plant museum, and most of it is just get to know the characters type things. Uh, so I've, I'm really alighting a lot of that. Mm -hmm. But at the plant museum, Penley uh, is talking to himself, although he, you know, he, it's sort of monologuing. He's addressing Store, but Store isn't actually there hearing him. He's he's knocked out next to him, uh, still recovering. He tells Store, or tells himself, while Store is recovering, Penley's going to go do a bit of hunting himself, he says, up on the glacier. He he seems to indicate that he, he might be considering... Heading back to the base, if it really means saving humanity and all that. He says, if what that particular chap has said is true, if they really need me, it may mean the parting of the ways for us, meaning him and Store. Store can't go back because he's, he's committed some offense that will get him, uh, I don't remember exactly what the nasty punishment was, some kind of exile or something, yeah. I don't know, something they didn't want to face up hmm. to, so... 
He'll be in the plant museum anyway, I guess, if Penley goes back. And then at the face of the glacier, we see these uh, frozen ice warriors. They're, they're, they're still immobile, but, uh, but they're not encased in ice anymore. They're more like icy statues now. Hmm. Varga says it's done. They are free. And now to bring them back to life. And that's, that's our semi-cliffhanger for the end of this episode. Yep. And so episode three, and we see that the crew of Ice Warriors are now ready to go. I mean, they've gone from being frozen in the ice for thousands of years to, to ready to, to do their job in about 20 seconds. <laughs> Tanned, rested, and ready. Uh, meanwhile, in the science area, Jamie is getting dressed up in clear plastic to go outside with Arden. So they have these sort of clear plastic uh, jackets. And now we see, you know, Arden was all like, oh, I'm going to do this archaeology and I'm going to bring the guy back and I'm going to violate the rules and everything. But he's now regretful. And he admits if he hadn't brought the creature back, none of this would have occurred and his colleague wouldn't have died. So... Yeah, and that just reminds me of another movie, uh, Alien. Mm -hmm. Remember where they're supposed to have a 24-hour quarantine? (laughs) It's all the same story, yep. (laughs) That's why I'm saying we need to put a stop to these scientists because, you know, it's never going to end. Clint tells Arden and Jamie that, you know, they shouldn't waste time going after Victoria. They just need to get the necessary data and return immediately. And, uh, you know, Jamie's like, no, we're going to get Victoria. And and now I thought, somewhat out of character, so it's kind of nice. Clint kind of has a personal conversation with Arden where he says, don't blame yourself. You know, I would have brought the creature back to you. So, you know, he's normally doesn't uh, admit to that kind of weakness. <laughs> yeah, this, this is one of those events where, you know, early on I said, uh, it's not clear to me yet just what, Clint's deal is going to end up being, but uh, this is one of those things that sort of shows you a different side of him because yep. he's been he's been pretty pretty hard headed throughout the first two episodes, but we see a little bit more humanity to him now. Yep. And now the doctor and Clint talk, and the doctor makes it clear that while he's helping out, he's not actually subject to their regulations. And Clint says the doctor is like Pemley, who also hated regulations, and that probably causes eventual breakdown. And the doctor points out that previously Clint had said Pemley defected. So, you know, Clint seems to kind of change the story whenever he wants. Although he says, well, one thing led to the other. So, you know, it's all the same. Meanwhile, Miss Garrett, and I got to say, this character, you know, uh, I think the actress does a good job, and, and it's a very proactive character. Uh, and so she has secretly gone to Pemley and the other scavenger, and she begs Pemley to help them to get the ionizer to work again. And Pemley says he chose to live as a scavenger because he refuses to be sucked into that computerized antique you call a civilization. Mm-hmm. And he won't return, not even to save the world. And he says, machines corrode and rust, but mankind goes on. So he's kind of a, kind of a Tyler Durden type. <laughs> yeah. And Garrett says Pemley leaves her no alternative, so she pulls a gun on him. But this turns out to be pretty ineffective because the other scavenger guy just knocks a gun out of her hand and then tries to stab her with a screwdriver, but Pemley stops him. Mm-hmm. And Pemley still refuses to return. But he tells her if they have trouble with the ionizer, 
she should look up his notes on the Omega Factor. So, uh-huh. that sounds sounds impressive. That could be a whole uh-huh. movie title on itself. Huh? Yeah, no couldn't. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Ice Warriors are intimidating Victoria, but you know she's still useful to them. One ice warrior is assigned to find their spaceship, so he's got an unenviable job of going through the ice and figuring out where their spaceship landed. <laughs> and they're also able to dig out a cave and put traps in it to stop the humans. So. Meanwhile, the doctor has been working on many pages of calculations, and this is an animated episode. They do a pretty good job on it because all over the floor are all these crumpled up pages that he's rejected, but then he realizes he needs one of them and he's sort of, you know, scrolling, crawling <laughs> through trying to find a page that he had some previous calculations on. And, and uh, fortunately, the pages that he had use for later, he didn't crumple those. Yeah. Those were just sort of lying on the floor. <laughs> and Clint wants to know why he doesn't just use a computer. Meanwhile, Garrett arrives and tells the doctor about the Omega Factor, and that excites him, and this will solve everything. Um, but the so do- she actually brings in uh, journals that she found yeah. from uh, Pimley, um, and the doctor sort of reads over, and he's like, oh, yes, this, this, is, this could be something, mm-hmm. you know, with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Though the doctor resents that Clint insists on having... A, his conclusions, you know, run through the computer to verify them. Meanwhile, Arden calls in and says they found an excavated area of the ice, so presumably where they were, you know, either laying these traps or finding the spaceship. And we see an ice warrior holding Victoria, and he fires his wrist thinking at Arden and Jamie, who's with him. So presumably they're now both dead. And the ice warriors debate whether to kill Victoria now, but the leaders still think she's valuable. And then Pemley finds the bodies and drags Jamie's body off. So apparently maybe there's some hope for Jamie. And the doctor and Clint are talking and the doctor wants to know what happened to Arden. And they broadcast to the handheld radio, but Arden doesn't answer because he's dead. (laughs) Miss Garrett shows up now and tells Clint and the doctor that the Omega equation works, but the doctor is worried about Jamie and Victoria. And Clint, in character, refuses to do anything for them. Some lives are bound to be lost. That's just how it is. And the doctor points out they're missing Arden, who hasn't completed his mission to get to the alien spaceship reactor. Meanwhile, Pamela has brought Jamie back to their hideout, and Jamie wakes up and wants to save Victoria, but his head is hurting, so he can't really do anything. Well, that sonic gun, you know, you remember yeah. the, the Martian said earlier that it could burst your brain. So it's a, it's understandable that he'd have a splitting headache at the very <laughs> least. Right. Though it is kind of plot armor, you know, because he lives, but Arden died. So it's, it's convenient. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Victoria, who's been, you know, being kept uh, by the Ice Warriors inside their area, she walks outside the ice warrior construction and she finds Arden's body and she uses Arden's transmitter to try and call the base to get help. And the ice warriors are watching her on their CCTV because they actually want to, you know, sort of lure the people to, to them. I love this line. I think uh, Varga says of Victoria, she has courage, but she is also very stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, Varga then starts 
remotely aiming a big gun thing at Victoria. So we see this, you know, reticule, aiming reticule being put over her. It just made me think uh, that line about she has courage, but she's also very stupid. It's like uh, when Dark Helmet in Spaceballs. Oh, you haven't seen Spaceballs, <laughs> I don't think. But he, uh, there's one point he's about to confront the good guy, and he says, You see, Lone Star, evil will always triumph because good is dumb. <laughs> <laughs> so while this, you know, aiming reticule is being put on her, Victoria is talking to the doctor and Clint uh, over the radio, hysterically trying to tell them what's happened. And the Ice Warriors move to fire on Victoria, and it's the end of the episode. Yeah. And we talk about, you know, these six episodes could usually be four. I mean, uh, this is, I, you know, it's like one page of notes for this. And it's not a lot of yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So we're at the halfway point. You know, we'll record our conclusion next time. But what are what do you think so far uh, of this story? You know, and just sitting here talking about it uh, makes it more interesting to me <laughs> because I, it made me think a little that, you know, I really don't know what Clint is going to be turn out to be like. You know, it's always nice when somebody can get a kind of redemption and hopefully that doesn't involve a unfortunate death. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, there's some interesting stuff. I think the ice warrior costume, I can't say I'm terribly impressed with it. It's got like every joint in the armor has this weird little, uh, you know, like a couple fringes of fur, <laughs> or a couple inches of fringe of fur, something like that. Uh, it's just kind of, it's a little silly. Definitely not the silliest thing we've seen in right. <laughs> Doctor Who. Um, but, you know, it's uh, not super either. Well, uh, you know, for them, they were pretty technically advanced, right? Because they were using, I think, like fiberglass and, you know, putting on this sort of turtle-like uh, uh, texture to it and everything. So, and, you know, it was really quite complex for them to do. What I would say is I think it's definitely better than, say, the first Cybermen, you know, with the mm. socks over their head. And, and the and bee people is what I yeah. was thinking. <laughs> well, yeah, anything's better than the, than the bee people. So, you know, yeah, I, I, but also one of the things that's interesting is um, whenever we get to the modern series, you know, when they reintroduce the Ice Warriors into the modern series, it's an episode that's really good and – you know, really makes them seem maybe a little more scary. Uh, um, oh, so they're still called the Ice Warriors. Yeah, well, like I said, yeah, they should be the Martians, yeah. but uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, like Native Americans, they're the Ice Warriors. Um, yeah. So yeah, like you know, the animation is not as good as the last two we've watched, but like I said, it, at least the faces are recognizable. Yeah, it's serviceable. Yeah, so it works. It's not embarrassing. It works, but uh, not not as good as some of the better stuff where they did more sophisticated lighting and everything. And, um, you know, we'll see how the Ice Warriors turn out here. I mean, you know, it is pretty similar, actually, to the Cybermen. You know, you have the weird voice and the tall guys. and the, yeah. Although they just want to kill people rather than, you know, <laughs> absorbing them or whatever, or turning them into... <laughs> Yeah, they're not turning other people into ice warriors. They just want to kill everybody else. <laughs> That's what they're yeah. hey, Well, we'll see what we think of the rest of this. All right. One week later. 
So episode four, the aiming reticule is on Victoria, the ice warrior is ready to fire, <laughs> and then they don't. <laughs> so yet another cliffhanger <laughs> where they just decide not to do it. Because um, <laughs> it turns out Varga, you know, the main ice warrior, wants her alive as bait. He wants to attract <laughs> intelligent people to the base. So um, <laughs> whatever that means. So Victoria is talking over the radio to the base, and the doctor, he wants to know about the Ice Warriors, but Clench is like, screw the Ice Warriors. Have you seen the engines? What kind of engine is it? You know, like, is it an ion engine? Is this kind of engine? And it's Victoria, and actually, reasonably, well, she's like, yeah. I have and, no and idea. She, is, what kind of she does say, well, give me a minute to think. She's going to try and picture it in her mind, but, you know, she's from the Victorian era. She's not going to know what an ion engine is or anything like that. <laughs> Yeah, but she really does just in general get treated yeah. as really stupid in the story. So bad for her. And the Ice Warriors debate whether to destroy Victoria or try to get info from her. They decide to send one of their colleagues after her to get her. And he exits the base and begins <laughs> to pursue her through an ice cave. And this is pretty funny because they had this problem that the feet of the ice warrior were really big and they, you know, you can only walk so fast and be bouncing into things. So they kept having to have Victoria go slower so that the guy could chase her. And it is, a, I mean, you know, again, the snow and everything looks really good. There's like one shot where you can see some cellophane and stuff, but overall the snow looks really good, but you know, it's really embarrassing how, and I mean, there's one point where she stops turns around, waits for him to walk a few steps, and then she screams, oh, and he's yeah. like, this you know, is, 30 feet is, away or something. I, I think I've mentioned it on the mm -hmm. podcast before, but there's that Stephen King quote about, uh, oh, shit, it's the mummy. Let's all walk a little faster. <laughs> That's pretty much this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so then at the base, they do have an intentional comedy thing, which is... Uh, the doctor asks about this machine that is a chemical dispenser and Clint, you know, sort of proudly spends all this time explaining how to use it, you know, put in the formula here, do this and do that. So the doctor does it and says, well, there's something I desperately need. And he programs in the chemical and it turns <laughs> out to be water. <laughs> so, but then he has the dispenser output ammonium sulfide, which he believes will screw with the ice warriors. He's really <laughs> happy with himself for how clever he is here. But leader Clint objects to the doctor going to the ice warriors. Uh, so the doctor is like, well, fine, you go. And <laughs> Miss Garrett, you know, the, the woman objects and no one can be spared. <laughs> least of all leader Clint. So <laughs> she's yeah, really, she's really in the leader. And the doctor points out that someone needs to go out to the spaceship to find out what kind of propulsion unit it has and report back. Uh, but Clint's like, I've come to regard you as Penley's replacement, you know, but he's going to allow it under protest. And for some reason, the doctor thinks the ice warriors <laughs> will listen to him after they take him prisoner. So yeah. a lot of people seem to think that we'll see how it goes. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, Victoria is still being chased very slowly <laughs> through the ice tunnels. And then she reaches an impasse and starts punching her way through the ice. And uh, once she goes through that, you know, the warrior comes and punches through the same ice. And uh, <laughs> Victoria essentially closes her eyes and it's like the the kitten, you know, if you've ever seen a kitten do this, like <laughs> if my eyes are closed, you can't see me. <laughs> and it actually works. She's like standing right well, there and I he walks she by also her. drops her little video phone. Uh, so she's got it. She's trying to like retrieve it mm, without yeah. him seeing her. But yeah, she, she like, she struggles through the ice 
cave-in, blockade, whatever. And then he just sort of walks through it like the Kool-Aid man. <laughs> so it's, he's slow, but he's a lot stronger <laughs> than she is. Right. Meanwhile, Penley and the scavenger guy, I guess his name is Starro or Star, something. I, I think it I is. I keep calling I'm him the scavenger sure. guy. And they're taking care of Jamie. And the scavenger guy points out that the weapons that disabled Jamie were scientifically based, of course. So he's <laughs> he's got a real problem with science <laughs> and scientists. <laughs> and Jamie wakes up, but his head is hurting. And the scavenger criticizes Penley for being a scientist who thinks he can explain anything. And he describes himself as a loyalist, which intrigues Jamie. Now, I did a little bit of reading on this. It didn't help. But, you know, I think so Jamie, when he hears loyalist, based on his background as a Scot and everything, well, is, you know, has a different context for it. I don't think he really understands what the story the where we saying. met him, uh, it was a battle against the English and the people who were loyal to Jamie's clan, if I remember right. So that right. yeah, that word loyalist right. is uh, you know has a certain meaning to him that has nothing to do with what what uh, Storr is talking about. But and and don't they also have Scottish right. accents? Exactly. I mean, Jamie does, of course. But it sounds to me like Storr does as well. I could be wrong. I don't know what is that. He's doing this really weird voice, right? It's this very high. Uh, it's like a, a you know Monty Python voice or something. So I don't know. Uh, I said, but I can't hear accents. I have a hard time. So and uh, Jamie insists he can get up, and you know the scavenger guy is all enthusiastic. They're going to go off and talk to the ice wars or thing. But of course, as soon as he stands up, Jamie yeah. falls over, and it turns out he's paralyzed. You know, they whatever they shot him with has kind of messed up his legs. Meanwhile, the ice warriors on the ship are wondering why their colleague hasn't returned from his Victoria. <laughs> Maybe because he's very slow. <laughs> and now we see Victoria. So, oh, I guess I didn't mention. So, the last thing we saw, there was like some kind of, you know, minor avalanche. And the ice warrior kind of got buried while he was holding on to Victoria's arm. <laughs> so, now we have this pretty funny sequence because we see her with his hand holding onto her arm. But clearly, it's oh, just yeah. a puppet arm, right? Like, she's... Just, you know, <laughs> so she's like, oh, I can't get away yeah, from his arm. Yeah. <laughs> she's totally controlling the puppet arm. It's, just, uh, it's yeah. uh, unfortunately I, a little bit I obvious. I don't know <laughs> if we mentioned in the, in the first half of this uh, episode is that these, these ice warriors, their spacesuits, they don't have hands like with opposable thumbs. They've got, well, they've got basically Lego minifig type hands, you know, the big... <laughs> C-shaped things, but, but they're movable <laughs> like clamps, you know, uh, like that guy in Futurama who I think he was just called clamps. Right. <laughs> but but uh, you, it makes you wonder how they can do any kind of finely detailed work because they don't have thumbs. They've just got these two metal things. Right. <laughs> well, them and the Daleks, they have these special ways to build things, even though they don't have opposable thumbs. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jamie is passed out, and Penley has no more tranquilizer pads, so he's been putting these pads to his head that presumably cause him to sort of absorb tranquilizer stuff. Uh, now, you know, <laughs> the scavenger just bizarrely insists that, hey, I'm going to go reason with the ice warriors because they hate the scientists, <laughs> and I hate the scientists, the so we're going to get along just fine. <laughs> <laughs> And he won't listen to anything, so he runs off to find them, and Penley ends up following after him. 
Penley finds the doctor right outside the spaceship and asks the doctor if he's seen his colleague. And he ends up taking the doctor back to Jamie. <laughs> Meanwhile, the scavenger dude finds Victoria and says he's trying to get help for Jamie because he really believes that um, once he goes to the Ice Warriors and says that he hates scientists too, that they're going to help him cure Jamie. So he's got <laughs> this whole scheme in his head. So he takes Victoria to the spaceship and they encounter the Ice Warriors and Victoria, you know, tells them that their colleague is dead, which makes Varga unhappy. But they still need Victoria to, um, you know, get people, you know, to, to be a, a bait for people to come from the base. But they don't need the scavenger store. <laughs> so he's just like, oh, let's, I hate scientists too. Let's work together. And Varga's like, we, you're not a scientist. You can't help us at all. So they just kill him. <laughs> yeah, I think he calls him useless yeah. and unnecessary. <laughs> That's uh yeah, you'd think if somebody's useless and unnecessary, you might, they might just say, run along, we don't want to see you anymore. But no, they're, they're kill-happy, these guys. <laughs> yep. So now the doctor has found Jamie and Penley. Uh, Jamie is still out of commission, and there's another avalanche. We keep seeing these avalanches occur, so the glacier is going to take this place out soon. So the doctor sends Penley to the base and says Clint will have no choice but to work with him. Meanwhile, now the doctor is going to the Ice Warriors, so he's, he now thinks he can work with the Ice Warriors. At the base, they see in their monitors that the glacier is moving. It's moved five times in the last day. And Miss Garrett says they need to do something. But Clint predictably says they can't do anything because the computer doesn't have enough information yet to tell them what to do. So he's putting all his luck on the doctor. And the doctor reaches the spaceship, and they let him into the airlock. <laughs> it's kind of funny, because over a video communicator, Varga wants to know who the doctor is, and the doctor refuses to respond <laughs> yeah. unless he's addressed properly. <laughs> and, oh, oh, this addressed properly is interesting. Mm-hmm. I think in the next episode, uh, when it starts off, you know, they recreate these last moments here, and he says, introduced properly. So he actually changes the wording. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So Varga reasonably reminds him that he, the doctor that he's in an airlock, and Varga can just take the atmospheric pressure to zero. And the doctor gets upset <laughs> and says this means his body will explode. So yeah. apparently he we, didn't listen to our outline episode. We <laughs> great length, although I have no scientific knowledge about such things. But. <laughs> <laughs> So Varga starts a countdown to explode the doctor, and it's the end of the episode. All right, episode five. I, uh, again, did my notes from uh, the script on Chrissy's transcript site, and I I watched the episode through, um, but I didn't watch it a second time because I got home from work, and I realized that I had to watch episode six, and we, (laughs) we were going to... Uh, record in an hour, so um, so I watched episode six instead, which may give you some idea of how eager I was to find out the shocking conclusion of this story. But at any rate, here's uh, here's the story. Uh, so, Doctor, we start off with that recap where he says properly introduced instead of properly addressed. But uh, once the pressure starts dropping. Uh, uh, he changes his tune pretty quick. He says that he's a scientist who's come to talk with them. You know, they say some more stuff. And finally, he gets let in. He says, thank you very much. That's very civil of you. But then he says, oh, my word, because the door is shut behind him, which was 100% predictable, but it seems to surprise mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so they're in the spaceship now, and it shakes because of all the glacier movement and avalanches and whatnot. And, uh, you know, these uh, aliens are trying to tell the doctor that he's their prisoner, but he says, it is you who are the prisoner, and I can help you. And Varga uh, thinks he's got a better answer. He says, not in your terms. Bring in the girl. Now we'll have two hostages. <laughs> so Victoria's brought in, and uh, uh, the doctor... They're talking about whether or not the ionizer is a danger to these aliens. And the uh, doctor says the ionizer is not a weapon. And he says that it will melt the ice and set you free. Varga replies, if what you say is true, why have you not freed us before? And uh, one answer might be because we didn't know you were there. Another might be because you're hostile aliens. But <laughs> the doctor says there are difficulties, um, you know, which is the whole problem where mm. if they turn on the ionizer, it might react with the spaceship's reactor and blow everything up and contaminate the world and so forth. Anyway, outside, uh, out in the snow, we hear the howling of wolves. Penley is dragging Jamie. He's got him on a stretcher. Uh, I think it's a, a Trevois or a Trevois. Is, I don't know exactly how it's pronounced, but it's but that's, <laughs> a, heard of that that's what it's called when you drag somebody through the forest on a stretcher, basically. <laughs> and uh, it gets stuck on something. Jamie asks if they can rest a little. Penley says, I think so, but a couple of minutes, no more. And these wolf, wolves are howling in the distance, and the only weapon that Penley has is the tranquilizer gun that he took from the late Arden, who uh, really got ill-served for rescuing these poor uh, aliens, but uh, it happens. <laughs> and it turns out that what imperils these guys... Jamie and Penley is not wolves, but a big bear. Actually, it looks to me like a bear cub, but it's a bear. <laughs> well, this is a great embarrassment to the actors, Chris, right? So there's supposed to be a big bear coming at them, right? And you have later, we have this stuff, and they're like, oh, it's coming, and it's, oh, it's big, and oh, what are we going to do? And all this, and the actors had no idea until they watch the footage that the only bear the production team could get was this <laughs> tiny little cub. So it looks like it's going to go lick their faces or something, but they're having to go like, oh, my God, okay, what are we so doing? I wasn't crazy then in thinking it wasn't the most ferocious-looking bear <laughs> yeah. around. <laughs> yeah. it's really funny <laughs> all right i was i was thinking maybe it was just me but i feel better now <laughs> so back in this uh alien spaceship frozen in ice doctor is talking to uh varga and varga's uh other buddy zondal the doctor admits that uh they'd use the ionizer if they were sure that it wouldn't blow up everything around but uh, but he says it wouldn't harm the ship, it would release it. But Zondal and Varga always have to be <laughs> negative Nancys about everything, and they point out there'd be flooding, the engines would be useless, you know, so on. So they're just down on the whole idea. <laughs> and uh, Varga realizes the doctor has some kind of communication device, you know, these little tele telescreens, the, the gawky talkies, as I called them. And and this this tells the doctor he's going to be soon communicatorless, so he says very uh, loudly and clearly, 
You do realize, don't you, that after a certain point, my base will have to activate the ionizer regardless of the consequences, which, uh, you know, is meant to be a tip-off <laughs> to the people who are listening back at the base. So he finally hands over mm -hmm. the communicator, and Vargas says, ah, they would never know. <laughs> they would never know what, what he was finding out here. Back at the base, uh, Garrett and Clint, Garrett's the... The eager young lady who's uh, Clint's assistant, you know, she says, you, you heard what he said. And Clint says, regardless of the consequences, yes, yes, he's telling us to take the risk. Uh, but Garrett uh, says that without the information they need, the computer can't give them instructions. So they give the computer what information they do have, and it gives some orders uh, it says, it, it, this is worldwide orders to all world ionizer stations. And it says, the new equation <laughs> originated from Britannicus Base. So now we know what the name of this mansion is. Uh, it probably was something like a Greythorpe Manor or something before, but now it's Britannicus Base. And <laughs> it will be adopted to conditions prevailing in each sector. It's, it goes on to say zero hour and six hours exactly. Report readiness one hour. So uh, they're on a six-hour timer here, and in one hour they've got to be able to say, yep, we're all ready to go. Chris, I didn't understand any of it because the computer oh, yeah. is completely <laughs> opaque. And, that's, I, and there and aren't I subtitles. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I did turn on the subtitles, subtitles yeah. and guess what? There mm. weren't any. So, <laughs> oh, well. So, so that's another reason why. Why I'm heavily relying on the script here. So, Clint sums up their dilemma that uh, you know they could uh, they could not act and be crushed by glaciers, or they could act and possibly blow up the alien spaceship, uh, which would contaminate you know a large large area. To me, it seems pretty straightforward. You've got no chance versus some chance. So, I mean, to me, it seems like, you know, <laughs> pretty cut and dried, but uh, the computer doesn't see it that way, and um, mm -hmm. they'll reason about that very shortly. Um, out in the snow, meanwhile, um, Penley uh, says, I couldn't hit the side of the mountain. I'm a scientist, not a gladiator. But uh, he's the only chance they've got, and he has this tranquilizer gun that's better than nothing. So he fires once. That gets the bear's attention. Bear gets closer, and Penley fires again. <laughs> Here we switch to another scene because uh, we have to be kept in suspense. You know, will, will Jamie die in this episode? <laughs> Could be. Back in the ionizer control room, the computer uh, gives instructions... It says, shut up all circuits to the new equation and wait, which is pretty much what it already said. Uh, it says, further information is essential before decision can be taken. And Clint uh, mm. understands what it's doing here. He says, it can't gamble. It can't take risks. And its aim, it has one more aim beyond being impartial and serving the community. It also has the aim of surviving. Uh he goes on to explain as playing for time. Uh, so it's basically just, uh, you know, covering its own miserable hide here. 
So he sums up the situation once again. We risk destruction either by a radioactive explosion or by the slow grind of the glaciers. Now, again, the radioactive <laughs> explosion is a maybe. The great glaciers are a 100%. So, you know, there's that. And uh, this contamination, while, uh, while it might be contaminating part of England, it doesn't seem like it's likely to ruin the whole world. Of course... In retrospect, we have more experience with that sort of thing with, uh, you know, Three Mile Island and Chernobyl and so on. So we've had some real world examples. <laughs> mm. But he doesn't know exactly what the extent is. And Clint says, by demanding a decision, we are asking it to commit suicide. And Garrett helpfully says, it can't do that. So what a what a terrible dilemma they're in. <laughs> Uh, Clint says, I will decide exactly when we'll notify the world control. Now, for now, they're just going to prepare the ionizer and wait. Back in the snowfield, Jamie and Penley, unfortunately, are both dead, mauled by the bear. No, of course they're not. The tranquilizer <laughs> worked on the bear. Uh, Penley is all right. He's underneath the bear, but uh, once he gets out from under it, he says he'll be fine. Meanwhile, back in the frozen spaceship with the doctor and the aliens, the doctor says, it's an ion reactor, isn't it? Hmm, it could be dangerous, but it wouldn't necessarily explode. And Vargas says, true, but your friends do not know <laughs> that. Which, uh, which they don't, because he got the yeah. ionizer before they explicitly revealed what kind of reactor they had. But they do have the doctor's instructions to go ahead and do something, you know take their chances now varga wants to know he's he's gotten all the information he can get out of the doctor about the ionizer but he wants to know about the base what its power source is and uh varga's buddy zondal has his gun at victoria's head and I, I read that straight out of the script here it's a good way of putting it and the doctor realizes that these guys are curious because they need fuel you know their ship's grounded if they're gonna go anywhere they're going to need fuel. So the doctor finally says, Victoria is being a bit bit heroic here. You know, she's saying, don't tell them, you know, let sacrifice me, basically. Uh, but the doctor <laughs> says, yes, you'll find what you need at the base. And she scolds the doctor for revealing it. Although we'll find out later the doctor isn't revealing all that much, actually. The doctor warns Varga that leader Clint is an obstinate man. Varga says he will listen to our sonic cannon. Victoria scolds Varga now <laughs> for being so inhuman. And Varga says, we only fight to win. Back in the base, uh, Jamie and Penley have shown up uh, out of the cold. And uh, after a moment of Garrett and Clint talking, and uh, Clint says something rather uh, snooty here. He says, I no longer need to be tolerant with him because he's no longer my equal. He's speaking of Penley, of course. He's an outsider. Uh, but after that, they allow them to come in. Yeah, Penley says Jamie needs medical help. Penley goes on to say he was shot down by the warrior's guns. And Clint says, well, thank heaven their weapons don't deal fatal blows. Penley says, well, they killed Arden, which... <laughs> 
is a bit of a dash of cold water there. Well, I think he died. Uh, Didn't he die in an avalanche? I don't know. There's so many avalanches. No, Arden, <laughs> Arden and Jamie were, oh, that's right. were yeah. both shot at the same time, and somehow right. Jamie survived. Well, he had plot armor. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's that's the somehow. <laughs> so Clint says, uh, you know, Jamie can go to the medical lab but Jamie says it's more important that Victoria and the doctor be attended to. They have to be rescued. They're in the alien spaceship, he says. You've got to help them. But Clint isn't isn't uh, having any of that. They've lost contact with the doctor. Uh, he says, I'm afraid there's no hope. Then <laughs> uh, Penley, Penley gives him hell about that. Um, you know, he says uh, he's got to stick to his precious schedule he says, you've got to wave your splendid ionizer about to prove that it works, and never mind about human beings. So, I know I like to wave my splendid ionizer <laughs> about now and then. I can't blame Clint too much. Mm -hmm. So, Penley and Clint get into a little scuffle, or not, not a physical scuffle, just a verbal quarrel, I guess you'd say. Uh, Penley calls Clint a machine slave. Clint has a... Very, I don't know, it, it, it amuses me because uh, it's an attitude I seem to see more and more of in the past few years. He says, don't spit your stupid liberty in my face, Penley. <laughs> <laughs> we know your kind of freedom, freedom to run away from responsibilities, from service, from moral judgment. I may be a physical coward, Penley, but you're a coward in the mind. <laughs> So uh, Penley comes back at him and says, I would act, but you daren't. And so you're going to be destroyed along with your mechanical master, meaning the computer that speaks incomprehensibly. <laughs> so Jamie and Penley, uh, they start talking. Uh, ja Jamie's getting a bit agitated, and he he's asking Clint to help the doctor in Victoria. He grabs Clint's arm, and uh, this uh, this is a bit too much for Clint, and uh, so the security guard guy Walters, who uh, who did not volunteer for this, by the way, uh, but he's here. <laughs> I think we never seen before this episode. So it was quite, he was clearly a red shirt because he suddenly had this big part in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he comes in and he shoots Penley and Jamie, and that this time I'm not joking, but but he didn't shoot him shoot him fatally that's more mm -hmm. like stun gun type thing uh for that maybe that well, probably the tranquilizer thing the same as arden had i would guess uh but anyway uh garrett she says take him to the medical lab make sure they're guarded for when they come to uh and then she says something very touching she says our trust is in the great computer with its aid we cannot fail <laughs> so we'll we'll See how that holds up over time. Mm. Back in the frozen spaceship, Varga is communicating with the spaceship. He's actually outside of it now. He says he's outside the base. Um, he's telling the gun controllers to stand by. Uh, and the gun is pretty amusing, actually, because it's just something that sticks right out of the airlock entrance. So... I guess it, like, fires through the ice, or maybe it's already bored a tunnel through the ice. I, I don't know what the <laughs> deal is, but but it's right outside the airlock anyway. 
uh, somehow it's the ship crashed in just the right way that the gun would be pointed directly <laughs> at the base. So it worked out really well for the aliens, I guess. The doctor, through an elaborate series of charades, <laughs> he uh, hints that Victoria should start crying fakely. <laughs> it's also just kind of embarrassing. Again. Like, you do your thing, you know, the crying thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So she finally catches on, and she starts crying, and he says, all right, it's all right, Victoria, don't cry, it's all right, there's nothing <laughs> to be afraid of. And Zondal says, wait until Varga returns triumphant, then you will have cause to cry. <laughs> <laughs> so in lowered voices, Victoria and the doctor are talking about uh, the little vial that he's carrying. She says, ammonium sulfide, it's only a stink bomb. <laughs> doctor says, yes, you've had the benefits of a classical education. <laughs> he says, harmless to humans, but to aliens, very possibly deadly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it could be. We'll see. And uh, now Von Victoria tries to distract Zondal. She's pointing to the airlock door. The doctor's sort of creeping up behind, behind the alien, but he can't get the damn tube open of the ammonium sulfate or sulfide, whatever I just said a minute ago. <laughs> and... Uh, so he's he's struggling with it, so she's trying to buy time. She says, there's there's water seeping into the ship just there. The doctor uh, points out that he can't get it open, uh, you know, sort of under under his breath mm -hmm. to Victoria. And uh, so, so she tries to distract the alien more. She says, look over in the corner there. And then she tries to uh, help the doctor. Finally, they get it open. And uh, he says, you tricked me. There is no water. What is that? Let me have it. And uh, Victoria lets him have it <laughs> right in the face. And her timing was perfect because Varga on the intercom, he's saying, Zondal, fire, fire now. He's giving the orders to fire the gun at the base. But, uh, but Zondal collapses because the doctor was right about this ammonium stink bomb thing. It really... Did a number on him. Mm -hmm. But he's still got enough strength to try and hit the fire button. So the doctor's struggling, trying to keep his hand from hitting the fire button. And that's the thrilling cliffhanger at the end of this episode. <laughs> Although I noticed either here or in the beginning of the next, I don't recall, but it's a point where clearly Patrick Troughton is moving the alien's hand toward the button to make it seem like he's getting. <laughs> so, yeah. Episode six. Well, it turns out that the stink bombed ice warrior manages to trigger the attack on the base. And we see, you know, actually not too bad, like, you know, stuff falling all over and the chandelier falls and they, they do a pretty good job on this. When you think about, you know, they're in some little set and they're going to make all this work. Yeah. And uh, the um, the guy who showed up last time, sort of the new, you know, red shirt guy, um, he says the records wing has been demolished. So <laughs> apparently mm -hmm. things are going down. And Varga contacts them over video and insists that they surrender or he'll fire again. And, you know, the base can't withstand much more bombardment. And Clint says to Varga, we both have urgent needs. And I was like, wait, I thought this was a kid's show. I don't know what that's about. <laughs> uh, so Clint agrees to talk, and Varga says, if there's to be peace, there must be trust between them. There can't, and, you know, Clint promises there's going to be no traps or tricks. So, 
<laughs> yeah, these uh, honorable villains are few and far between in Doctor Who, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> and Miss Garrett wants to bluff and say they're going to blow up the ship. No, they can't blow up the ship, of course, because they're afraid it will blow them up. And the aliens won't know that the computer has instructed them to wait. Uh, and they have an argument about whether they should listen to the computer. And the red shirt guy has this big outburst and, you know, kind of a monologue about listening to the computer and running around. He gets really upset and Miss Garrett shoots him. <laughs> I assume it's not a fatal shot. I assume she was just stunning him, although no, we it's don't. probably another one of those tranquilizer things. Yeah. But I think he was actually, if I remember right, didn't he like pick up? Some piece of furniture. Wasn't he going to smash yeah, the computer? Yeah, something like I, that. I, yeah, I, I mean, so, you know. it, it looked like that to me, but it wasn't entirely clear. Yeah, he got pretty upset. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Ice Warriors enter the base, and as they're negotiating with the humans, the, the red shirt guy who's been laying on the ground, he manages to wake up and tries to shoot Varga, and he gets killed. But, of course, now that means that the aliens assume that the humans were setting them up, and there really was a trap. I mean, Clinton says that's not the case, but, you know, Varga, not unreasonably, doesn't believe him. (laughs) And now I think this, I think this is out of the blue. I don't remember any dialogue about this because Varga says, we have one requirement, the mercury isotopes for our ship's reactor. You know, the doctor said you have it. And I don't remember the doctor saying anything about that. I don't know if there was some, you know. Well, the doctor did uh, in the earlier episode, you know, Victoria was scolding him for giving it away that what they needed was available in the base. I guess he just referred to fuel. He just referred to fuel. And here they say the mercury isotopes. So it would have been more clear if he had said mercury isotopes, right, or something like that. But anyway, I guess it's... Yeah, it was it was easier to deceive them just by saying, oh, they've got what you want. Go check right. it out. Yeah. And Clint says, hey, we don't use mercury isotopes. Uh, Vargas says, well, the doctor said you do. And which, as we say, might just be an honest misunderstanding. Yeah. Uh, and Varga asks what will happen if the Ice Warriors halt the base reactor in order to get what they need. And it turns out this would end up killing all the humans, but as Varga points out, it wouldn't kill the Ice Warriors, so they don't really need to worry about it. (laughs) At the spaceship, the doctor manages to get the outer doors open, and then he starts tweaking with that gun. As you mentioned, you know, just coincidentally is pointed in the right direction, uh, because it's it's this large round thing, but then just a little syringe that comes out, which is the actual gun, Uh, and it doesn't appear to be directional or anything. It's like a round panel in the wall, and of and you know the it doesn't seem to be all that mobile i mean it's not like a turret or anything right. it's just sticking straight out of the wall so basically the spaceship had to be aligned perfectly you know of, of it's a <laughs> well, one in 360 degrees chance you know or whatever well it reminds <laughs> you of the silliness in what the rise of skywalker i don't know if you watched that last uh star wars movie but she has, a while back uh, uh, she has this knife that she holds up and points in a direction at some point and it tells them where to go and it's like wait in order for that to work the people who made the knife had to know exactly where you were going to be standing when you did that. So, <laughs> oh yeah wasn't it like it was like the outline of a crashed yeah. spaceship or a piece <laughs> yeah. of the death star or something yeah. like that wasn't it so yeah yeah that was uh, although I've, I've i've read about it somewhat recently i didn't read about that specific scene but there is uh, some some reason to think that those things were planted to lead them 
to the final planet where Palpatine was going to do his evil plan because <laughs> he had to get them there somehow. Yeah. So I don't know. Where Palpatine had somehow been. underground just created hundreds and hundreds of spaceships and their crews and everything else. But let's not, let's not get into yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> that was a very elaborate plan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're talking about Doctor Who, which is much more realistic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's hard science. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> in the base, Clint warns the Ice Warriors that cutting the power to the base could cause the feedback from the ionizer to blow everything up. Don't know if that's true or if he's making it up. I think he's probably trying to tell the truth. But Varga is impressed with the ionizer as a weapon. He's, oh, this is a weapon. Great. And they're like, no, you know, Miss Garrett is not a weapon. It's a scientific instrument. But the fact that it could kill everybody is uh, <laughs> incidental. <laughs> and so... yeah. Varga insists that they shut down the ionizer and says that the doctor revealed that they are concerned about their the spaceship exploding. And then, <laughs> so now at this point, you know, uh, Miss Garrett is useful because she knows how to operate the computers and everything. And Varga starts going after Clint saying, well, you don't really have any useful skills for us. And Clint's like, well, but I'm, I'm the leader, <laughs> which kind of proves Varga's point. Miss <laughs> uh, Garrett is upset at the idea of Clint being hurt, and she starts to shut down the ionizer. Meanwhile, the doctor is still working on rewiring the spaceship gun, and he says, whatever effects it has on the scientists, it'll have a bigger effect on the ice warriors, because it's going to be like a... Uh, sonic thing. So the idea is that the the sound waves are going to get trapped in the Ice Warrior's helmets, and that'll have a big impact on them. So sounds plausible to me. Sure, why not? But the doctor does admit if he's wrong, it'll kill everyone. So <laughs> you know, there's that. Isn't there also something he says about like they have more fluid content, and they, he's going to set the gun to frequency seven because it affects liquids, and they have more liquid <laughs> yeah. content? If so, that that bypassed me. So, okay. but um, at the base, Miss Garrett says the ionizer is shut off, and it's now not holding the ice back at all. And so Vargan wants to get back to the ship before the glacier surge causes problems. And Clint says, you'll regret this, Varga. And Varga has the great bad guy, you know, come back. At least I will live to regret it. <laughs> uh, Penley shows up in the background and he, he literally, so basically on the side of the room, they basically have like you have in any hotel room or whatever, you know, the temperature control. And so he just starts screwing with the temperature control. And <laughs> They, they've they got like three different dials and one controls heat, one controls humidity, and one is something else. I don't remember what the third one was, but he cranks each of them up to the opposite of the very cold, dry environment that they're in. Yeah, and so, you know, and it's this is clearly a very effective system because like two seconds later, <laughs> the Ice Warriors start to get all woozy. And I think we start seeing, actually, I'm not sure how they did it. I'd be curious what the optical effect, because we start seeing this wavy effect, you know, on the uh, uh, on the cameras. And um, Martians start falling over, the Ice Warriors, I guess I'll call them. And meanwhile, the Doctor fires his sonic gun and everyone at the base is messed up. And he starts communicating with the Ice Warriors, and he's, you know, here he's pretending he's going to fire again, but he but he tells Victoria he actually can't because he knows he'll kill all the humans if he does. Mm. But the Ice Warriors start abandoning the base, and then the Doctor destroys the ship's gun. 
And the Ice Warriors get back to the ship while the Doctor and Victoria get back to the base. And uh, the Doctor orders Victoria back to the TARDIS, and then he uses his smelling salts to wake up Penley. These uh, smelling salts have turned out pretty useful. Oh, yeah. Makes you wonder how the Ice Warriors got back to the ship and the Doctor got back to the base without passing each other (laughs) on the trip. Yeah, well, it's a glacier. It's a big space. Yeah. So the humans start recovering, and the doctor tells Clint that the spaceship is powered by an ion reactor, so they could all be destroyed. But the doctor and Pentley want them to use the ionizer. And, you know, Clint's all like, oh, but we don't know. The computer doesn't have enough information, etc. And the doctor points out something, you know, you mentioned earlier. The computer can never tell them to use the ionizer because there's a chance it would destroy the computer and therefore... It won't do it. It's sort of one of those Asimov's, uh, you know, rules of robotics <laughs> or something. Yeah. And Clan insists that all base computers worldwide must act together. If they, and, you know, if this base acts too soon, it may screw everything up. You know, but the doctor's like, no, we must do it. And Clint says, we can't do it. And Miss Garrett won't do it. <laughs> and, uh, and so they put the, uh, the whole issue to the computer. And in classic sort of Star Trek you know, mode, it just goes crazy spinning around because it can't answer the question. Uh, the logical paradox has got him once again. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't there an episode of The Prisoner where we had something like that? Oh, yeah, that? they've all had it, yeah. <laughs> Basically the blue screen of death, you know. Um, so Penley just sort of, you know, uh, he better hope he's right because otherwise he's going to be responsible for the death of a lot of people, but he decides to use the ionizer at full power to push back the glacier, even if that would cause the spaceship to blow up and kill them all. But if he doesn't, he's still going to be responsible for the deaths of everyone instead of some people. So <laughs> I don't I don't see the dilemma here. <laughs> <laughs> the Ice Warriors, meanwhile, debate what to do, and they decide to take off when they get freed from the ice, at which point their spaceship will be invincible once in there in the air. They'll sort of have air supremacy. And as Penley fires up the ionizer, Clint yells, you're wrong, we'll all be killed. And and Penley says, it's a risk I'm willing to take. And I have to say again, like, okay, I'm glad you're willing to take the risk. (laughs) 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 Um, And at the spaceship, the heat from the ionizer is screwing everything up and catching all the controls on fire. And whatever they did, I think they, um, it must have been like one of those, metals that uh like a firework or something because i noticed that the fire on the consoles would follow a line right like so it was like they had a a line of some you know chemical or metal that the fire was going along it was kind of interesting um i wonder if it was a magnesium yeah that would make sense yeah yeah and and the ice warriors start falling over and at the base it turns out the ionizer only caused a minor explosion they're all safe and Penley asks Clint to check the readings with him, so he's sort of now being nice, like, let's let's work together. <laughs> and Clint says Penley is the most insuffering, I think he said insufferingly, although my word processor tells me that's not a word. Uh, <laughs> Probably insufferably. Probably, yeah, guess. that's true. That, that's hard. Insufferably irritating, infuriating person he's ever been privileged to work with. So, you know, they're now <laughs> making up. And then they want to talk to the doctor, but guess what? The doctor and crew have slipped out, and we hear the TARDIS dematerializing, and it's the end yeah. of the story. <laughs> Didn't even stop to get a thank you or anything. Yep. Well, so you've uh, you made some hints in here. Well, what do you think? I mean, well, 
Yeah, overall, it's um, I wouldn't say it's one of the greats. <laughs> I, 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 know, I know you've uh, said that this establishes the uh, Ice Warriors as a future uh, mm. recurring uh, villain in this show, uh, so it might be worthwhile for the historical precedent, but uh, I mean... The actors put in good performances here, I think. Uh, Clint especially is mm -hmm. uh, pretty interesting as the sort of uh, indecisive leader, you know, who uh, relies on the computer for everything. Uh, but uh, overall, yeah, for six episodes, it, it just seemed like a, a small, uh, small returns <laughs> to me. <laughs> Well, I mean, there are about five characters, right? I mean, you have, you know, one uh, store, you know, the one um, scavenger. You have Penley. You have Clint. You have Miss Garrett. You have the doctor. You know, you have a few other people sort of wandering around. But that's about it yeah. for six episodes. You have about five characters. And yeah. they just keep going back and forth. And, oh, now I'm going to go to the spaceship. And now I'm going to go here. And, you know, it's, I mean, it clearly could have been four. It probably could have been three <laughs> episodes. But, you know, I mentioned this on some previous story. I think that the, you know, the elements are better than the whole, right? I mean, there's no bad mm -hmm. acting. All the actors are really good. Clint is really good. Miss Garrett is really good. Um, she's mm -hmm. clearly a very smart, you know, intelligent person. Victoria's a little unfortunate in this story. Um, you know, the Ice Warrior actors are doing what they can with with these costumes and everything. And having, you know, they have to move their heads in weird ways and stuff because they have to be able to move somehow. But, you know, and as I said, the production design, I mean, both the design of the computer room and everything is, and their costumes is really interesting. The snow stuff is really well done. So it's all just really well done. But the story itself, like, you're just not going to even remember what happened because nothing really happened, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, they, they, there were a lot of moments in this where they put in suspense. And, you know, there is one part, oddly enough, the first part of Victoria's chase out of the ice before I realized just how slow that <laughs> damn alien was. It, initially, something about the way that they did it made it start off kind of suspenseful for me. But mm. then, uh, then I realized... First, I realized, well, this is Doctor Who, so she's probably <laughs> also, nothing is going to happen. Also, to her. as I said, where yeah. she has to stand there for a long time and wait for a date close so she can scream. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then second, I realized that yeah, it wasn't going to be all that suspenseful. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think for me again, in terms of worth watching, it's another one that falls under if you care about the history of Doctor Who, you want to watch it because yeah, it's the beginning of the Ice Warriors. Uh, and it is pro and just in terms of acting and execution, it's one of their best base under siege stories, mm -hmm. but it's, you know, but as an overall story, yeah, I wouldn't, uh, <laughs> wouldn't drag anyone to the couch for this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, next up. So I, I was actually thinking, you know, so we've done a couple, six episodes or whatever of saying, oh, let's do some host choice. But then I looked at what the next two are and I was like, oh my God, we have to watch these because there's some very interesting history here. The next two stories, the next one is called Enemy of the World, and the one after that is called The Web of Fear. 
these were both missing for like 40 years. Oh, wow. And about 10 years ago, they were discovered, the whole thing. So that was amazing. And the thing is, while they were missing, just based on, you know, like there'd be one episode from this one and one episode from that one and, you know, and the reconstructions and all, people developed a really popular opinion about one of these stories and they thought the other one was crap. Huh. And then when the whole episode showed up, People basically almost universally realized we were wrong. It was the reverse. <laughs> the one we thought was <laughs> crap was really good, and the one we thought was really mm. good is crap. So Interesting. Uh, I'll ask you to try not to read about this because I want you to see if you can guess <laughs> which story is which. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get my hopes up too much. I'm going to say there's going to be a fair chance that they're actually both crap. Well, <laughs> now I guess the other spoiler will say, I really like one of these. So, I, you know, we'll see if you do okay. too. But I will say it can be a little slow in developing, so we'll see. So anyway, right. um, this is another six episode or next week or two weeks. <laughs> we'll see uh, what we think of Enemy of the World. All right. <laughs> 